Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Yes, it is time for parenting. Uh, once again, Joanna Fortune joins us uh, uh, again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, right, first question. Uh, this is an interesting one. Yeah. I need advice, please. My son is almost 30 and constantly asks me for money for everything. Rent, food, you name it. I told him time and time again, I can't afford it. I leave myself out uh, without all the time for him. I tried by saying, OK, it's a loan, as it was in the tens of thousands at this stage. But he never mentions paying me back. He never holds down a job and thinks he will get rich quick with failed businesses after failed business. He spent his college fund on a failed business and never learned. His siblings uh, go to college and work and are all sick of the help I give them when they all work and go to college and they're all younger. I feel guilt tripped into it when he says he's getting evicted. I've paid so many deposits and rent and never got a penny back. What do I do? Oh my gosh. I just, I think, you know, when you listen to that, the knee jerk is just stop. But it's not that easy. No, of course not. And it really isn't. And I think there's just so much sadness in this letter, you know, that frustration and pain that's just Mm. become sadness. Mm. I'm worn out by this. And there's something, you know, when you read that piece about, you know, he spent his college fund on a failed business and never learned that just from how is he going to learn? Yes. If yeah. every time he comes with his hand out, even when you say this is the last time or this is just a loan, you still give it to him. Yeah, yeah. Because what he's actually learning from you is you don't mean what you say mm. and that you're doing this and as a way of maybe encouraging him, but that you will still give him the money. I think, and it's very easy to say this, um, and I don't care if they're three or 30, I think they're still your children. So you're, it's very easy to say it and difficult to do it, but you have to stop jumping in to rescue him because he literally won't learn. And what he's learning is the bank of this parent Mom, yeah, will keep bailing parents, me out. Yeah. yeah. So... And if you stop, what's the worst thing that could happen? Yes, he might fail. He might even flail. Mm. But you know what? He will learn from that. And you can reframe it to him as this is an opportunity. Where do you go from this? Because the money, you're saying you're going without. You're saying it's tens of thousands. You're saying you can't afford it. So you're now giving him something you quite literally don't have to give. So it does need to stop. But he's not going to stop asking. That much he's shown you, you have to stop giving. Yeah. And the first time, the first two or three times, it's going to be difficult. But I just also think sometimes using paradox with these situations, again, regardless of age, can be really helpful um, in addressing it without it becoming a conflict. You know, because if you now sit down and go, no, I'm not giving you any money. Look at the tens of thousands I gave you. You failed, you failed, you failed. It'll sound like you're nagging, you're critical Mm. and nothing is quicker going to shut down the lines of communication there. But if you put it in a different way of, you know, I'm sorry. And you apologise. I've let you down. I've bailed you out too many times and I've denied you the opportunity to find your way and to find your feet. I'll take responsibility and I'll stop giving you money. And it's hard to argue. No, you're all right there, mom yeah. or dad. You can keep giving me money. But to use it in a way of I've decided I'm not doing you any favours. I will take responsibility and I will stop giving. You're addressing it without getting into a battle of critique over it, because I'm wondering, and it may be like people go, no, he definitely knows. Maybe he's not aware of exactly how much he has taken. Like tens of thousands is a lot, but has he ever been given a figure? I've given you this amount of money over this period of time. It actually has to stop. And when you say it's a loan, have you discussed the terms of repayment or is that just a word that was casually used? Look, it's a loan. You'll give it back to me. Or have you said you will give it back to me within 24 months at this rate a month? How has it been expressly explained to him? But I do think this starts with the parent first 
Mm. Don't give it. And then, yes, deal with the consequence of what comes out of that. He sounds very immature. That's very, put, uh, very put mild. Yeah. And so I imagine maybe this parent might have a bit of guilt, as parents often do. Mm. They go, what did I do wrong that mm. my child is like this now? And the, the, the line that jumped out at me was this, can't hold down a job, thinks yeah. he will get rich quick. Um, mm. So, which does kind of smack of, uh, um, I suppose, because they would be worried they're 30 now. Yeah. They're not going to change. And that, that'd that be my worry too, that if you don't stop this now, you will have a son who's 45 yeah. and keep doing this with you. Yeah. So it has to stop. And I mean, I don't want to make an assumption about your living circumstances because you've got younger children than this who are still in college and studying. But it might be cheaper for you to have him live at home than pay his rent and food and everything else. And that might be a motivating <laughs> factor for him to find his own way back out of the house to independent living because he can't afford independent living. You're paying for that. Yeah. Uh, also as well, and maybe probably many parents, not exactly in this situation, but like, you know, when they, when this person says his siblings go to college and work are all sick of the help they give to him, that people can often ask, why is that child so different from the other children? Well, you know, and look, I mean, that is, that's that comes up so often. Look, I parent them all the same and this, but we don't. We're not, yeah. like if you lined me and all of my siblings up and asked us to describe our parents, you'd think we were raised in different households, <laughs> at least to some extent, <laughs> because it's not how we were parented. It's how we experienced being parented. Yeah. And, you know, even how we parent each of our children, it is slightly different because it's not a, a herd approach. They are mm. individuals. And I think you're right. The key here is this is a 30 year old. And if we didn't have that age in this question, we might assume this is a much younger yeah. child. Yeah. This does not read the, the life skills, the maturity, the world awareness, the self-awareness of a 30 year old. So and again, we don't know enough, but there is a bit of failure to launch, um, not yeah. assuming independent living. But I, I actually think it needs to be named explicitly as opposed to, oh, for goodness sake, don't ask me again. I told you the last time, but here you go. Yeah, you're only you're actually enabling this. Yeah. My, good luck to them. Uh, you're right, of course, but like. But it, it's 30 years of 30 doing this, Sean. Yeah, it's not an easy one just to break like that. Yeah. My boys are four and six, absolutely kill each other. They love each other and have loads of fun. Uh, but there are times when I genuinely get scared how rough they play, throwing each other from walls, the arms of the couch, the stairs, wrestling and bending limbs in ways they shouldn't go, biting, thumping the works. They don't seem to know their limits. They are so rough. They have caused one another to bleed. They have bruises that I'm afraid anyone outside the family will see and assume something sinister is happening. I've spoken to them so many times. I'm blue in the face. I've tried talking to them together separately having their daddy talk to them their granny but they don't seem to care will they grow out of this I feel I need a bigger intervention as I worry about devastating injuries Mm. I'd love Joanna to give me her opinion I mean it's play they're killing each other in play but it's so interesting because we forget it you know it's good for kids to do rough and tumble play of course it is Um, it's really good for them it it engages you know a a safe expression of aggression there's a lot of pro-social skills there's also a lot of kind of gross motor skills developed until it crosses this line and then you know what I'd call adventure marks those Mm. bruises that they get from adventure and exploring 
could result in a broken bone or a significant injury that was not intended. And I think we can forget that play at, at its core is a neural exercise. It's not just a nice activity or box of toys. It is something that there is a whole autonomic reaction to it. And it's a blend of those autonomic pathways that bring out safety and regulation because it has to feel safe to play. They yeah, have to enjoy yeah. each other and feel safe. But rough and tumble is a blend of that mixed with activation and mobilisation. And when then the activation gets too stimulated, we lose the safety and regulation of play and it just becomes rough rather than rough play. Yeah. So yeah. the play is getting dropped pretty quick with these guys. What might start, they're four and six, so I'll make an inference. What might start with the kind of rough and tumble play is pirates or, you know, some kind of an exciting game of jumping off things and rescuing, search and rescue play. All of that can quickly become who can jump from the highest step without breaking an ankle. And it takes on a different feel. So I totally get it with all of that. I do think, however, that they're going to, they're only four and six. They're going to, and the excitement, it's not like they have that inner brake light when they're in the play to go, hang on, we pause now and assess the situation. Is this really the way to play? (laughs) So they're going to need somebody else to do that. So you're going to have to model other ways of playing using more collaborative, competitive play. And I think I've mentioned it again before, but I just I'm thinking of things that you could do straight away with household items, like literally scattering cotton balls. And if you don't have cotton balls, you could get a toilet roll and tear off individual squares and roll them into balls. That's also fine. Mm. And scatter them around and see how many they can each collect with their bare toes hopping around. So they're, they're getting that competitive edge with each other. They're getting a lot of that kind of physical input from hopping and jumping and picking, but it's safer. You could also get, you know, those little Q-tips that we shouldn't put in our ears, but we do. And um, you get the straws, get two Mm. straws, put the Q-tip at the end of the straw, get them to take a deep breath and blow as hard as they can and see who can get it furthest. So Mm. they're doing competitive challenge play, but in a more collaborative other way of playing. Yeah. To teach them there are other ways of getting that little edge that comes out in their play. I think as well you're going to have to and sit with them now. They're four and six, so it's not going to be like you're starting an intervention. (laughs) But you might need to do a little kind of make a tea with your hands and say you're calling time on the play. Try to catch it on the way up. So before someone has thrown someone over the edge of the sofa and say, hey, I've noticed your brother is hurt because I wouldn't assume the other child has noticed in the play. You know? Yeah. I'm so in it. Exactly. So if you can say, hey, I've noticed your, your brother is hurt, that's no fun. When somebody gets hurt, it's not fun. And when the fun is paused, the play has to pause. And we check it. You might need to highlight for them if someone is crying and in pain, it means it's not play anymore and we've got mm-hmm. to stop. Yeah. And that will mean for a number of times, I won't give you a number in case you hold me to it, but for a number of <laughs> times, you're going to have to intervene and actually do the whole whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you just didn't notice your brother got hurt. What do we do when someone gets hurt? Yeah. Fun is paused, play is paused. Check in, do the regulation, return them with a new option to play a different kind of game. And I, because I, I'm not going to say stop them playing rough because you won't manage it. Yeah. Rough and yeah. tumble play at this age is healthy, normal and to be encouraged. It's the fact that it stops being playful and just becomes dangerous and rough is the bit that you want to modulate here. Um, they're missing each other's cues and you're going to help them to see them. Yeah. The, the, yeah, because they're going to stop them. Could be sometimes, though, it looks from the outside like, oh, my God, what are they doing to each other? But like they don't. Well, obviously, they see no problem with it either. But it might oh, they're be not as, seeing any problem with it. Yeah. It's very, but also when kids are in the play, it's they're very much in role. They're especially your six year old is immersed in that. Mm. So if someone gets hurt, it's not my brother getting hurt in, in that moment for me. It's the character. It's the moment. Yeah. It's my enemy. And that's what's yeah. supposed to happen. 
And then if you kind of point out to me, but he's bleeding. Yeah. And oh, okay, fair enough. Okay. But <laughs> lots of adventures. So there is a lot of good in this and they are playing together. Let's highlight that. Yeah. But they're going to need you to do the intervention. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Fair few comments on uh, the 30 year old. Mm. Uh, if she lets him move home, she's never getting rid of him, uh, says one texter. Uh, someone else says that 30 year old may have ADD. Often not picked up on when brought up in good surroundings with good education, only when they get older and cannot keep on top of life that it can cause real problems. Is that a possibility? It's absolutely possible. I mean, there's nothing necessarily in here that would make that an obvious inference. But Mm. I mean, it's of course possible. And it may also be that parent listening going, "Okay, that does make sense. Go and get assessed as an adult. You know, lots of people are just getting a diagnosis that they should ideally have gotten when they were at school and the difference it would have made. Um, And it can still make a huge difference in life here. But with or without a diagnosis of ADD or anything else, she's still going to have to put boundaries in place or he, whichever the parent is, boundaries in place about there is, the money isn't here yeah, to be given. Yeah. So it, the fact that it's not there, you need to start with a no and then making meaning of it later on. Yeah, it could be something like that. My daughter is 12. Oh, this is uh, again, this will be a common one. My daughter is 12, starting new a new school next week. We moved at the start of the summer due to my husband's work and we are in a completely new county. The principal was very kind to us and allowed us to visit the school to get our bearings a bit ahead of time. However, as the starting day looms, my daughter is getting so anxious about it all. I have younger children, but they are five and seven and not as concerned about all that's involved with starting school and making friends. She has started to focus on this like her hair and is looking right uh, and is looking right for next week. She now hates that she wears glasses because she looks like a nerd. I know she's worried about fitting in. I told her how everyone is starting in a new school in first year and will not know their way around. They won't know the teachers and all the students will be new. So she won't be seen as the newbie at all because everyone is new to everything. Uh, I don't even know if that was the right thing to say. Are there things I should be doing on the countdown to uh, starting to help her move? Uh, I mean, so much of this, I mean, it's challenging and it's difficult, but it is normal. Like her worry is context specific. You know, you've made a significant move geographically. It's new county. Everything is new. She's also starting a new school and it's secondary school. So there's multiple moves there. So her worry makes sense. She's not worried about nothing. Yeah, it's very specific. And when something is context specific, what we hope and generally do see for most young people is that it's a transient worry. So once she settles, adjusts, makes a friend, makes two friends, a few friends, settles in, the worry goes Mm. because the context has shifted. So it's really when worry is not context specific and it's there more often than it's not. And we often don't even know. Sometimes we're just worried about being worried. That's something else. So for me, and again, I'm not saying don't worry at all. I'm saying it is still worry and worry is a deeply unpleasant feeling. But hold a space for her to adjust and find her feet with this. I de- And when I say hold a space, I give it four to six weeks. She might only need one or two weeks, by yeah. the way. She might come but on the first day. Exactly. Going. Oh, this yeah. was great. And I've got lots of friends. But right now she's in a state of anticipatory arousal. So she's in that, you know, that, oh, mm. I'm up here and I'm just, yeah. you know, we all love to be right, don't we, about how we feel. I mean, anyone who's ever had a bruise. <laughs> You know, you shouldn't touch it, but you keep touching it to make sure it still hurts. You love to be right. So Mm. when you're like that, you're like an emotional meerkat, just scanning the environment for signs that you are right to feel the way you are. Hence, is my hair right? I look like a nerd. I just want to feel... 
she's looking for ways to feed the worry right now. So what I, what you said about, look, everybody's new. This is all new experiences for everyone. It's quite right. But you've said it now. You don't need to keep saying it. Just hold that space for her to feel exactly how she is feeling and approach it with acceptance and empathy. Of course, you're worried. Mm. I understand that sure it's new. It makes sense to be worried now. And then gently, what kind of things does that this fair play to the principal for giving you the tour? Yeah. That's super, by the way. But now find out what the school community offers that might be of interest. You know, maybe there is a basketball or a hockey or a football or hurling or whatever is going on in the school. Maybe it's debating or drama or some kind of clubs or societies that she could get involved in to point out there's something exciting here. Um, Get her out with you for a walk every day if you can. Just get her moving and use these remaining holiday days for fun. Yeah. Get her laughing, get her moving, get her out of the house. Not that you shut down her worrying and worrying out loud about it, but that you are making sure that that's part of her experience, but not all of it. And make her actively involved in the prep from everything from going to get the pencil case to the books, to the uniform, to organising all of the bits. Make sure she's actively involved in all of that. Yeah. Only a week to go before they're back. Woohoo! Uh, Joanna. He just rubbed his hands when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> Joanna, thanks a million. As ever, Joanna Fortune, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We'll take a break after that. Raising bears in Ireland. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.